Again, inconsequential information is part of <laughs> my conversational flow. Absolutely. So I haven't officially gotten started yet. I'm just yeah. blabbering. Yeah. No, it's all good. Uh, you can hear me all right? Yes. Yeah. Good. Okay. Everyone, thanks for joining us. All three of you. The guest that I have on the show is none other than William Chernoff, the composer of the music that you hear every time you listen to the podcast now. I think it's wonderful. It's very thematic. It's very late night talk show in my eyes, which is something that I grew up loving and an element that I've always wanted to incorporate into the show. Every time I chat with William online, I'm thinking to myself, whoa, I'm actually not that unhip. I can connect to people who are younger than me. This is awesome. And he's very intelligent and everything that you can get at williamchernoff.bandcamp.com is wonderful. William Chernoff. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back. You're listening to another episode of The Todd Donald Show, a weekly podcast where artists and performers go to chat about nothing. Hosted by Canadian singer-songwriter Todd Donald. And we're back. <laughs> yes. What? So listen, now that I've put it on, you've heard it. You're, um, by the way, you're you're chatting with me from New Westminster, BC, which is which is where I lived during my first few months of life. New Westminster's finest, right here. Yeah, you know awesome. it. <laughs> so, what did you think? hearing it all in place. When I've had the chance to have creative input on my projects, I've really been the worst possible person because I'm just not a perfectionist by nature and I really need to work with perfectionists when I do my things because the voice in the back of my head says on every project, on every performance, every time, the best thing you can do is to get something done and to keep going ahead on to the next thing right. and not having any second thoughts. So that's not my first choice of how I'd want to think. And I try not to hire people who think like that. So right. yeah, I'm, uh, I'm still working on that. But with things like getting this song on your show, I have no idea what it's going to sound like, nor do I have any expectations. So it's like, do, do your thing. And then I'm going to come and hear it. And I'm sure I'm going to love it first time because... Uh, Apparently, I'm not hard to please, and apparently, I'm nowhere near a perfectionist. <laughs> I think with um, any project, any creative person, there's that thing of like how you can be a total asshole like George Lucas is about his work, where <laughs> he's like, no, it's not done yet. It's not done. I still have yeah. more. I have more things I want to change in Empire. Uh, leave me alone. But then anyone who, who does the thing and keeps going, the whole point is like, you're just getting better every time. If you take the time to look at what you've done, what what you take from that is not what you want to change about that. It's what you want to do better next time. And then I've done it to my own music. I pretty much yeah. hate everything I've ever done. Would I rather go back and change that or just have everyone forget about it? Do not search my name on Google. I have a moment like that too, if you ever do, but you got to search my full name. Um, my middle name is Ross, so if you end up searching William Ross Chernoff on Google, you're going to find some things that a lot of people would probably uh, raise their back <laughs> at. But no, I'm like, whatever, man, that's that's part of the journey. So, Just so everyone knows, and I, I, I came to this conclusion before, like you can't see us, so I have to describe for the listener of the podcast. 
William Chernoff, in in my from my point of view, is like a young Leonard Malton. If you know kids, if you don't, <laughs> I, Leonard, I don't even know who that is. <laughs> Leonard Malton. Oh, man. Okay, okay, you know how every time you go to see a movie at a Cineplex, there's this little kid who who's like, "Hey, I'm the guy. I'm the guy that chats with the celebrities about the movies that are in theaters." I'm, yes. I, well, back in the day. Leonard Malton was that guy, and his, his interviews, because there was no internet, were sort of force-injected onto the VHS copies of the movies that were now in your home. So you would see yeah. him like talking alone about The Little Rascals, or he'd be interviewing George Lucas on the, the VHS of Star Wars. If you can Google him, and you can imagine him as a young man who chose jazz instead of talking about movies... And you get this guy. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. Okay, I'm totally going to do this. The weather is beautiful. Rarely is in town. You're all the way on the other side of the, on the continent. So what, what are you experiencing outside? It's been the longest day of the year in the first weekend of summer, but it doesn't look like it. The hot weekend was last weekend <laughs> and all of last week. And now we got some serious clouds. I was actually uh, kind of on the road the last couple of days because... I went to go see my family on Galliano Island. If you're familiar with the southern Gulf Islands from your time in BC at all, that's a really cool place because people know about Vancouver and maybe even Victoria all around the country. But in between Vancouver and Victoria are the southern Gulf Islands. And there's a lot of really uh, picturesque little islands with maybe a thousand people max on them. And in some cases, quite a bit lower. And I've got some family connections on one of them. So I was there for a night on my way to Victoria to perform with one of my bands. And then I had a great hang in the afternoon in the sunshine of Victoria yesterday. And now I'm back home in the clouds at home in Vancouver right. in New Westminster. Right. That's like a 200 day a year experience. And it's like when the sun comes in the summer the whole mood just lifts because everybody's so happy and it's not gray anymore. And it's not even like it's not cold enough to pull everybody together through a time of hardship in the winter. It's just gray and boring, right? So Nice. I know that Portland's on the West Coast too. Joking we had our honeymoon in Portland, actually. Nice. Uh, we had our honeymoon in Portland in April and it uh, rained every day. <laughs> is your wife's name like a, a secret? Because I know her as human, human tea. My Human. wife's name is Anna, so yeah, her handle is Humanity. I, um, I miss the social. Anna's first job was at Cineplex, so she'll love your comparison there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you don't look identical to him. The combination of the, the facial hair, basic facial elements and, and glasses together. If you had like a, you know that kind of Spock haircut? And yeah, yeah. Some of your facial hair was white. Then, then it might be a good Halloween costume idea. Give me 20 years and I'll be doing that natural. I won't need to wait for <laughs> Halloween. It'll be every day. I'm chatting with a very talented musician and you can tell that I, I don't like going right into it. Like, right into, like, anything about the music. However, I, I did start off by saying something to the effect of the fact that I'm a fan of, I'm a fan of your music. The vibe... And a lot of things fall under the blanket of jazz. So many things in my eyes could just be called rock, but they pick one word that two bands have a common thread and they add the word core to it. Oh, no. <laughs> there, there's punk, pop punk, post punk, you know, punk core, uh, core core, emo, emo core. Like none of these things really matter. It's all to me under just rock with the understanding that there are those separations. You know, rock isn't just two dimensional. 
Neither is jazz. Some people already know that there's a modern. We're talking genres of jazz here, or what's yeah, the, what's yeah, the... yeah, yeah. And like, I, I don't want to give people like the entire education, but like, if you were to classify what you do with more than just the word jazz at your grasp. Here's an interesting uh, story of the first time that I really passionately discovered a new artist. And it didn't happen for a long time. It happened when I was 20, I think. Before that, pretty much all the music that I got exposed to in the entire world was being in that band room at New Westminster Secondary School up the hill from where you probably lived when you were a little, little guy. (laughs) And then hanging out in there with the best people who were so ready to go out and make all the music that they possibly could even when they were 13 or 14 i got surrounded by people like that really fast i didn't have musical background before that so i just kind of rode that wave and that made me like a jazz playing teenager pretty quick especially because i was playing bass which allows me to jump up there with all kinds of different people and do all kinds of different things and not have to be in the spotlight myself because I'm not interested in being a feature performer ever, really. In a performance world, I'm an accompanist. That's what I have always felt the most comfortable with. And I'm always interested in finding a feature performer whom I can accompany. All that to say, when I was a teenager, I was already doing that. And so that ate up a lot of my life, the practice time, the jamming time, the going and listening to music that they wanted me to learn. Like All the music in my life was like, the music that I had to learn to play. And that's still kind of a curse that I feel now. I still have to get out there and and make uh, effort to listen to other things, even if it's not related to my work. Once I started to make some room for myself to like just learn more about myself and get out there in the world on my own terms, at one point I took the opportunity to just go on a day trip down to Bellingham to go to the Bellingham jazz concert series that they do. I think I stayed for 15 minutes after killing nine hours in Bellingham and then took the train back home. But (laughs) one of the first things I did that day was I walked into a bookstore because that was part of my killing time experience. And on the bookstore, Lucinda Williams is playing. Are you familiar with, uh, with her music? Yeah. So Lucinda Williams is playing. I've never heard her music before. And it's from one of her more recent albums. I think it's called Little Honey. And I think the track is called Tears of Joy. This was the first track by Lucinda Williams that I heard. And I heard it kind of cold in a bookstore. And I don't know, I was an emotional guy at 20 who drank almost every day and didn't know what he was doing in my life. So I think I like started crying, like (laughs) in the bookstore, just legit started crying as soon as I walked in the door, just because I heard this song and it was like a resonant moment for me. It was almost like the pathetic fallacy thing when you have weather that matches somebody's mood. It was like I walked in here and there was this song that match what was going on and I make it sound really melodramatic but it's probably an experience that almost everybody has so then after Mm. that I was just a huge fan of Lucinda Williams I've never seen her live even though when I got home that night I discovered she was playing in Victoria so one hour ferry away from where I live but that was in two weeks and it might have been sold out or something either way I didn't have the initiative to go and see her immediately but then I listened to her so much and uh I kind of matched her up with this folkier jazz world, which is people like Bill Frizzell, you know, going all the way back to the 80s. Probably not before then, but in the 80s, people like Bill Frizzell and other guitarists. Uh, there's another guitarist, I believe, from Denmark named Jakob Bro, who kind of sounds like this. It's folkier, spacier, more ambient, more guitar effectsy, simpler forms and simpler harmonies. Uh, style of jazz music that's pretty popular in Vancouver too and 
then I got into the folk world, you know, for other reasons. And so that amplified my love of that. And a lot of the songs that I composed for that group that you hear on the beginning of this podcast kind of came out of that folky jazz sphere. So I would even call it like folk jazz or indie folk jazz or something like that. That There's a piece of it there, you know, but mm-hmm. it's not an indie folk singer songwriter adding jazz. It's like already a 30 year old jazz tradition in its own right. I dig it. Yeah. But then obviously that track that we uh, share this connection with now isn't really <laughs> like that. So the other side of it is that uh, if you take that teenage time and all the music that I had to learn and then I played when I had my little performance spots at restaurants in New Westminster or at the Key or whatever, uh, a lot of the go-to tunes were things like early 70s Herbie Hancock and things like that, things that were kind of funky and easygoing and upbeat and so that's always been there too. And maybe that's how I would describe it. It's like an earthy, simple side of jazz fusion. Well, yeah, fusion, jazz fusion was one of the terms, like it was one of the first things that you and I typed to each other. You you might've said like, Hey, nice to meet you on on the internet. And I said, Hey, and you said jazz fusion. It was, (laughs) it was within the first conversation that they mentioned that term. When you say earthy, that ties into something that I've been experiencing the whole time you've been telling me that. Give me a second to like put the phrase I want to say together, just so it makes sense to you. Yeah, you give me a second to drink my coffee, man. It's all good. Yeah. I'm doing the same thing I did with the Amanda Muse one. I have this to start off with, and then I have like the regular coffee, which I called. Oh, co- yeah. I called it hot coffee last time. I'm, I'm like, fucking idiot. Coffee Whoa. is hot. <laughs> coffee with ice in it is cold or iced coffee, but coffee by definition is a hot beverage i have an iced coffee story too that i can jump into uh afterwards but yeah. okay okay um ba- basically what i was trying to say is that what you illustrated was like a world in which it's natural to come by people who are influenced or pleased by earthy music made by dominantly musicians people playing instruments writing mm. their own song or co-writing with another person not 11 people who are in a different room not altering technology to make you sound like you can sing good when you can't people like you saying what you're saying now illustrating this world in which only quality music exists is 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 rare and i'm not going to put down the stuff that i don't like but it's magical to hear you talk about it (laughs) it's wonderful I honestly don't understand any way that other than that which I described because I get pretty head down into what I'm experiencing and that's what I've experienced for so long over 10 plus years of everybody in my life like being a musician not every single person who's my friend but every colleague or everything that I've really sunk a lot of effort into everything has had to do with having live musicians in the room and I just don't understand whether it's yet or ever how to do things in a way other than that. So it's really about the live experience, but I'm also just very uh, immune to thinking that it's always quality because the other seminal experience of the way I grew up in music was that I just bombed on stage all the time because from when I was 14 years old, I tried to put myself in as many performance situations as I could. Of course, a lot of the times that meant I would be going up there with people in a jazz performance or a jam or some kind of live jazz gig, because that's all I knew, uh, where they had more experience than the years that I'd been on the planet, 
or I was playing with friends who were a lot more diligently minded than I was and who I kind of relied on to carry the musical experience that night. And so, yeah, I allowed myself to get humiliated quite a bit, at least yeah. from my own perspective. I wasn't scanning the audience thinking everybody out here thinks I'm a fool. Oddly enough, after that high school intense music time ended, I had fewer experiences like that, but I'm thankful that I had them and then I remember them, obviously, the whole rest of the way. I still feel very comfortable with getting up and failing at any given time as a live performer. Yeah. It's really good to know the science of failing. There's yeah. nothing more helpful, in my opinion. And in my theory, when it comes to people making music and, or performing, with business, you're not allowed to put your not best foot forward. I think that's important too. But of course, you know, the business people of music, those are the kids that were cool in high school and they never really had a bad time. Artists are the nerds. Mm. We're, we're the ones that think maybe it's more important to do the thing and become really good at something rather than selling it. Your surroundings conditioned you to be a good musician. Every now and then you receive transmissions and you, all of a sudden you just like go... But 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 what happened? What happened? Oh, my conditioning. Right. <laughs> I think that artistry and talent is being able to go out there seven days a week and not care about what other people think of what you did. That is ultimately going to turn into artistry and talent. At least at this point in my life, I think that's like the number one factor. I don't think it has anything to do with when you're in your early 20s or your, even your teens, how well you're going to do on any given night, because that is ephemeral, man. You don't know when that's going to happen again or how long it's going to last. But if somebody can put themselves out there every day and meet people and actually be an honest person and not care about what feedback they might get when they're that young, that's artistry and talent all condensed for me. And that's honestly what I believe, and that's what I believe the whole way coming up. Like the ego that exists mm. in every human being was a problem for me back then. Did you ever... And, and what you're saying, I'm gathering the answer is no, because you seem like more humble and work ethic-wise a good person. But did you ever have those oh, moments? Behind every no to a question like that, there's like at least 25 or 50 yeses. Like you don't get to know. No, I'm a, I, having a, I'm a bad interviewer. Yet. No, not at all. It's good. What I'm saying is that you're, you're right that, oh, you could look at, there's famous figures that we can look at who are totally comfortable. And even though we don't know them, they seem like really genuine people. And we kind of look at them as the diamonds in the rough of the entertainment industry. But obviously, I think for any of them, they have had a whole bunch of like ego death moments, you know, along the way where they had uh, a feeling like that, that, and then they got knocked down uh, a peg and then, then they had another one and then they had another one. And yeah. Like, yeah, I've had, I've had several of those where I thought, for me, it was mostly when I thought I was really ready to do something and I did it and I realized I completely wasn't. That was that was an experience that I had again and again. And so I would overestimate myself going in. And then on the way out I'd be so down about it and I wouldn't I wouldn't ever want to show my face again and and yeah, many times, right? Like many times a year and that still continues. I still have that now. But yeah. especially back then, yeah, I would go out and then I would feel kinda 
guilty about it but no you know i look back on and it's like that's just the process right that's how you get to the point where you don't feel like you're bringing ego into the equation when i encounter a working group of people like a band that i'm in or anything like that where people are bringing ego into the situation it's like alarms go off right away now i know that that's something you gotta address like you gotta talk about that stuff before it gets to be a bigger deal because Everybody's coming into a band with different expectations. Like right. my own band that records the jazz music that I write, it's a dictatorship for me, for sure. <laughs> like I'm bringing in friends who have way better work than anything I can give them. And I'm enjoying the fact that I'm friends with them and that they're willing to give me a slice of some of their days and nights to make this music that I already have for them. But I'm pitching everything at them, right? Like I'm passing yeah. them the music and I'm setting up the rehearsals and I'm bringing the stuff into the room and I'm paying for things and I'm booking the performances and I just want them to show up, right? So it's like, that's a nice, easy way to do things, especially when you're writing all the music and it's instrumental. Then there's no there's no way that ego is going to seep into that picture, right? Because it's just kind of an outlet for me and it's an outlet for them. Like, I would dream that it's the most fun band that they get to play in. Like, whenever they have that on their calendar, they're just like, awesome. Instead of having to go out and do a gig that's really valuable, but maybe for somebody that they don't know as well, or something where they have to learn 40 songs, or I want to give them that relaxing feeling that you you want to get when you're really young and you're getting into music. That's what you're looking for. Right. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> but we both went to uh, music post-secondary, right? right? We both went to music college or university, and I went there straight out of high school. Is that what you did as well? Pretty much. I've tried to go to post-secondary three different times, so and I've struck Same. out all three times, so I guess I'm out. <laughs> we're out now, right? Like, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> but that was my first one, and uh, it did come right out of high school because uh, I followed a bunch of my best friends there who stayed local and continued to play music, and I wanted to keep doing that with them, and I wanted to give it a try. So did it work out for you? Did you get far in that program? I don't know if we ever texted about this when we were well i I, sorry i thought you were a fan but (laughs) (laughs) uh i've had someone that i was in the program with on the show a couple of times deanna wells yes heard heard it yeah and she was yeah as you heard she was our piano instructor while also being a student in second year our program was three years my year at mohawk it was called applied preparatory if you hadn't taken lessons before or you weren't at the level that you needed to get into year one, this was what you went into. I finished that year and I just, I knew it wasn't what I wanted. As much as I'd fallen in love with listening to jazz and classical, I didn't have the temperament at 19 to dedicate myself to really learning how to do it. It's That's, like, yeah. With all the respect I had as a, as a music fan, my temperament was like, I want to do what the Beatles are inspiring me to do and listen to jazz on the side. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's wonderful that you did that because I'm terrified that people aren't willing to jump out when they know that something's not right. Like, right. I'm not going to say this is specific to music college, but. So many of my friends, you know, I've been able to acutely observe uh, my friends as they get degrees, as I absolutely haven't, because I'm not caught up in the cycle of midterms and finals, etc., right? And I can't count the number of times that I've heard my friends say things like, oh, I'm three years in and there's one year left and I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to finish it because I've already gone this far. 
And right. it's like, I, don't, I have no idea how to process that. Like, I, I can't think that way. If something's not right, I'm out. And it's right. like, yeah, you could say that I'm, I'm not good at committing to things, or you could say that I'm not tenacious, or I don't persevere. I don't know what it is. I just know that's the way I am. And like, I don't know how people see it that way. So the fact that you got out when it wasn't working, it's like, that's beautiful, man. It's like, that's yeah. what leads you into the next good thing. For sure. And with education, it, um, it costs a lot less if you know it's not right for you is not cheap. I'm you know, still blown it, away by how expensive it is in the States. Like, it's so much even worse than it is here. I, I can't imagine what, what it's... I, yeah. If, the music scene here, if I'm judging based on my own experience, I have to say it's really great. I have to be thankful for it because I've been doing very little but creative pursuits for almost 12 years now, which is about half my life, because I'm 24 at the time I'm recording this. And I've done it here the whole time, and I haven't thought about moving in any serious way. So all the different things you could say about affordable housing or about public sector arts funding, the community venues closing and opening, mostly closing. Right. Right. Yeah, there's a lot to say, but at the that end happens. of the day, I've been here, and a lot of my friends have been here, and we're here. We're still here. So I'm I'm very positive about it on the whole. And I have really enjoyed being here. And I felt like I've got a certain perspective on it that comes out of coming up here. And I wouldn't trade it for anywhere else. So you don't you don't you don't feel like for any reason I have to get out of here if I'm going to keep going? Absolutely if- not. No, right. I do not feel like I have to get out of here because this is the pipe dream. Okay, in 20 years, me and 20 other folks that I found along the way. We're going to have grown up in Vancouver and in British Columbia at a time in its history where everybody's talking about money laundering, drug issues, downtown east side, homelessness, the struggles of young creatives and even young professionals to raise their families here. This is what we hear, my generation of Vancouver and BC folks, every day about living here. But in 20 years... I am so ready to be part of the community of people that sticks around through that and flips the whole story about Vancouver so that one day it's a place where all the creatives in Canada want to come. Just like people talk about Montreal or about this cultural moment that Toronto's been having for like the last five years. Right. I want to be here when Vancouver is that place. I don't want to miss out on that. I'm not saying I'm going to live here every year of my life from here on out, because yeah. I can't guarantee that, but I'm always going to feel at home here. I want this to really be the Nashville North to go with the Hollywood North. And I want people to know that this is a place where creatives can thrive and where young people are going to come in the future. I'm so I'm so there for that. I'm so down and I'm not afraid to make it happen here in the meantime amid all these um, difficult stories that we hear good good scene good support here's the thing about the venues if you ask anybody in vancouver about what are your favorite shows that you've been to they're probably going to get five shows down the list unless they've gone to see somebody amazing at the commodore which is the big fish i guess yeah or unless they've had a great time at the vogue theater they could get five events down their list of five favorite concerts that they've seen and every one of those venues would have closed That's how it's happened over the course of my young adult life, is there's venues closing every year. I think think that's universal. Because the same could be said about this city, Kitchener-Waterloo. I I feel you doubt. So why 
Why do people who are coming out of music college, etc., think that the grass is greener and that they want to move to another city where there's a more hip scene if it's universal? Is it because it just hits hard because those are the places that they've been in when they're 19 and they have fond memories of it and then they're gone and they need to try and seek it somewhere else? It could just be like a small perspective. Just that life element of being like, I've never known anywhere else. It must be more interesting. It must be Mm. greener grass because I haven't had it yet. I did that also when I was 19 or 20. I went to Europe for three or four months on my own. I spent almost the entire time in Copenhagen um, and moving around Denmark a little bit. I didn't know anybody when I went there and I, I rented a basement suite and I hung out in the music scene a little bit. And especially when I look back on it, it really looks like I was trying to run away from something that I was experiencing here. And I'm still <laughs> not quite sure what that was. But yeah, I came back and I also felt like I didn't have very much going on. And right. And then when I was finally getting back into it the following year, like ridiculous things happened. Like I met Anna and then I met my colleague and one of my best friends, in the game right now, Gabrielle Dubroy, the violin player who's in my band, Early Spirit. I met them both in the same month in April of 2016. And it's like my whole life changed instantly because then it's like everything I'm doing for the next three years is like backed by the love and the energy of these people and like all the new people that I met through them. And I could never have predicted when that would happen. But before that happened, and I'm sure it'll happen again at some point in my life, I'll add some other names that I would never have guessed how strongly I would feel about I remember planning that trip to Europe and going there because I felt like things were drying up and I didn't know anything else. And I was scared that I needed to to get out there and experience something new in life because I was just lost, you know? And that's probably universal too. Absolutely. I don't know what the rules are. Am I supposed to take it somewhere else? (laughs) When, When people answer questions so well, it's like what I would do if we were sitting in front of each other right now is I would, I would think of something random. To, to say. Depends on where we were in the world. <laughs> I was going to tell you an iced coffee story. So yes. This is kind of the iced coffee story. This is like, I'm trying to figure out what level of anonymity I'm going to tell this story at. Probably like a <laughs> DEFCON 3. The first professional album release that I've done so far happened last year. It was with Early Spirit and the album was called Unrelated. And when we were recording that album at about this time last year in Chelsea, Quebec of all places... We were staying at an Airbnb, four bandmates and a producer, and there's some substances, not any ridiculous substances, you know, there's, there's some weed and there's some alcohol going on. And one member of this posse, it's after we get home from probably day three of five, so we're doing like 12-hour studio days, and then we're walking home to our Airbnb and crashing. After midnight, one of those days in the middle... One of the members of our crew here at the house just keels over. It's like totally (laughs) white in the face, just falls over because of the quantity of the substances maybe versus the quantity of the food and water. You know, I feel like that could happen to almost anybody. I thought that that Coke was a pizza. (laughs) So I'm, I'm standing there just like, what do I do now? Like... (laughs) <laughs> How's this gonna keep going? And I'm like looking up my other friend in the group and is like, what are we gonna do? And that's the version of the old story I had of going up and playing the wrong notes on stage. Right. Now I'm here in my early twenties, still a super young guy, 
but I'm throwing a bit more of my weight around and I'm trying to do more things independently. And then something goes wrong that you just have no answer for and you have no idea how to be a responsible person and address the situation. And your mind races right away to all these possible situations that could come out of that. I felt like I had to reckon with this moment for like an hour but it was like five seconds and then <laughs> he came too and then we just like put everybody to bed and like I was still sleeping and I was just hoping that everybody would be okay right we get up the next day and we put in another 12 hours in the studio and we're like yelling at each other every day about all the different creative ideas we have and like slinging mud at each other's creative ideas and doing take after take and trying to get it to where everybody wants to be you know just caring way too much about all these little tiny details i don't know it's just shifts so quick it's like in one moment you can be in like a hyper personal hyper present reality where you're really kind of looking over the edge of the cliff in terms of what you know how to deal with and then the next day you're just right back to being a teenager again who just wants to like play the right chord like the hippest chord underneath this thing or like play on 128 bpm it's just seesaws between this most absurd things that we really shouldn't have to care about and no end listener ever cares about just because that's part of the experience of hanging out together. And then there's yeah. also the, the totally real shit. And it's like, it's all there. And that's why I think there's nothing else I'm, I'm really going to have as like a, a vocation other than music. Because nothing else has just been able to give me the full spectrum so quickly. Like you get all this life experience when you're a musician that you have to wait until so many other parts of your life to get if you're doing other things. Like Especially as somebody who hasn't uh, completed a, a degree or had... Um, significant experience as an employee you know i've only been a self-starter and yeah exactly right i've always been like a self-starter and a musician i think like if you're a self-starter there's no way you can learn more about life than if you're in performing arts especially but you have the discipline of patience so some people who start their own business don't necessarily always know what patience is and you're allowing the thing to grow and become some people will give up after a year yeah. Because they think it's all supposed to happen in a year. Well, I've given up 15 times. Right. Like, <laughs> especially you're a human my, being. Yeah. yeah, but that doesn't, give, that doesn't mean you've given up forever. You know? Right. And, and, don't, yeah. and don't, don't feel bad about that. But I'm no. just saying, like, some, some people will be like, okay, I'm never going to try to do it again. Yeah. Whereas, you have no, people have no idea. They can't say things like that. They don't have enough information. They don't know what's going to happen to them. Yeah. Some of the most riveting shit you've said so far is about this iced coffee story. And I, that wasn't, all credit goes to you on that. So, sir. You know what, though? I didn't, I didn't use the words iced coffee once in that story. The only exactly. relevance to it was that I remember that that whole week we were drinking lots of iced coffee. That's literally it. There's no relevance to the story beyond that. I iced love coffee. It. <laughs> I have a story about Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Okay, so my buddies and, and this girl were going on a road trip. The, the girl was like Jason's g- girlfriend, and the other guy was Frank. We're, uh, we're going to um, Detroit because we're going we're gonna to see this J- Jack White concert. This is a fictional story. And then uh, fucking, uh, Jane g- was getting sick. So we stopped at a gas station so, so she could go to the bathroom. Fra- Frank goes to Jason, are you feeling all right? Is she feeling all right? And Jason's like, no. And I'm like, fuck it. So we kept driving. She was in the bathroom. I was like, <laughs> and then the next day we see an obituary in the paper, woman found in, in gas station toilet. And I had um, uh, peanut butter cups that day. <laughs> <laughs> 
It is that dude. That's what you call the peanut butter cup story. <laughs> yeah, well, like you don't want to give away the punchline, right? So yeah, it, you gotta you gotta cloud it in uh, in peanut butter cups. <laughs> I hadn't had them in a while. They're really good. Yeah, but you left a woman in the bathroom in a public... She died! You're burying the lead, sir. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Hey, if you've been enjoying Todd's podcast, consider checking out Describing a Rock with Milo Axelrod. That's me. You can find it wherever you get podcasts. The show is exactly what it sounds like. A short escape from your busy life to slow down and consider a rock. Okay, here's another one. This is, I'm pretty sure this is same day last year, 2018. So we recorded our album in Quebec and obviously you got to fly there and that costs a little bit of money. So we booked some performances to cover that part of it. And we showed up to this performance venue and we realized that this was one of the parts of the trip that we had put on the back burner so you know we communicated with the guys at this venue enough to let them know that we were coming and to let them know how much music we were playing and then that was kind of it so we showed up there there's no pa there's no microphones there's no amplifiers wonderful so we're just walking in with our instruments as one does and it's like okay now we gotta go make a log and McQuaid run and pick up a bunch of stuff and play there through the evening and then like at the end of the night in the third set so it's like 12 30 a.m or something like that our set basically turns into a celebration for somebody who walks in because uh, she's just been called to the bar and it's funny because we're in a bar and she's sitting at the bar and she just <laughs> became a lawyer and she just got called to the bar so everybody's cheering her on and wow buying her drinks and stuff like that and we're still playing and then on top of Having to go to Long Nequade, I think, twice, because we first went to get amplifiers, and then we realized we needed more microphones, so we had to go back. At the end of the night, those guys leave, and we're the last people in the bar, and we get their tab. Jesus fucking... (laughs) You shitting me? And so it's like, I don't even know how this ended. I would have to ask my friends in the band, and or like the the person who was working at the venue at the time. But all I know is that I did not pull out my credit card at that time, so I'm sure somebody sorted it out. But I remember getting off the stage and being handed this tab and like as if we were in on it, like as if the whole right. idea was that, yeah. It was just very bizarre. And then the next day, all we start chugging iced coffee and we pull up in Chelsea and we start just going at it in the studio and recording this album. And this is how this band is. It's it's been a time, and that's what you want, I guess, when you're in a band. So I got nothing to complain about. Log in the band life stories now uh, as of that's last really year. My jazz group is not like that. We don't travel. We don't do anything. It's like I've done one recording session a year with them, and I have a few tracks in the can that I'm thinking about what to do with, and I might release them pretty soon. That's where I'm at with jazz in my life right now. It's my me time. And then the folk world has been like my head down and and doing work and then getting out there and sharing it with people time at least those are the people that have kept in my circle and done it with me so i, and I like it i like it better real quick too no sorry i'm I, i'm doing uh, a terrible job today i'm really sorry about that <laughs> no you're just this is your second one of the day right so it's like i'm here for that another big thing that i haven't got to is that you know my main job in the music world has been my association with this nonprofit that's local here and kind of has like a violin education program. And 
I started, this is kind of like Deanna uh, chat that you had where it's like, they're not affiliated with any uh, public school or university or anything like that. It's like an independent registered charity. Right. Um, but I started working for them when I was about 18. The oldest people in the program are high schoolers. So I'm about the same age as them, um, but I'm like on the other side of the coin. Right. So I felt pretty strange. In my first year working with them, I basically was a hired performer. You know, they would perform at local music festivals and do things like that. They've, there's like 15, 20, 30 students playing violin. Like, that's what the music is like. So it's awesome. Like, there's, there's always a good time to be had when there's like age 8 to 18 or whatever. And there's the, the groups are broken up by, by age. And I'm playing, uh, at that time, I'm playing upright bass with them. Somebody would email me the music. I would learn the music. I'd show up to the shows and I'd do it. And then next year, like, I started going to one rehearsal a week next year two rehearsals a week and then the year after that I was like around all the time and I was doing all kinds of things with them and then you know I got closer to them every year and I'm not in the organization right now but I'm super close to them to this day and I love them and I appreciate so much like the kind of musical home that they gave me all the way from when I was 18 like I don't know what if, I feel like I would have been like one of those people that they talk about like oh music helps keep people off the streets I'm not saying I was going to be literally on the streets because I do have a support system that I'm really thankful for, but that probably kept me out of a lot of dark places in my life. The fact that they gave me a, a music role to to fill when I was young and had no experience and didn't know what I was doing, and I'm just uh, yeah, I'm really grateful for that. But anyways, I got to travel with them a couple times. Uh, we went to like Nova Scotia, PEI, Quebec, New Brunswick. Uh, I've been to Scotland with them. I've been to China with them, which was also pretty crazy. The first couple trips. I'm not supposed to be a chaperone because there are chaperones, but I find myself in situations sometimes where I would have to enforce things and I can't enforce shit because I'm the same age as these people. It's like, what am I going to do? I'm terrified. Like it's 1am and I'm considering whether or not to tell a group of people that they have to go to bed. But I also feel like I'm trying to uh, tell the popular girl in high school to like stop picking on my friend right? because like they're so close to each other and I'm like the same age as them. So what am I going to tell them? I'm terrified, right? So it took me a couple of years to put some mental distance between where I was at and where they were at. And then by the time that happened, it's like overnight, you know, I'm only 21, but I'm like the least cool person in the world because I'm like not that far from them, but I'm also right. like hanging out with the square adults. So then it's like, I don't even know what to say to them anymore. It's not their fault. I'm sure they're, well, I know they're all lovely people, but it's like, at first I just wanted to put some distance between me and them and feel like I could have the instructor's role um, or the the professionals' role, and then the second that happened, it was like I still I still didn't know what I was doing. So right then I felt isolated, and I don't know. It's still that's still a, a learning process too. I'm not a natural uh, educator, and that's uh, that's another reason why I'm I'm okay with my fate as far as music college went because my friends who graduated uh, music college they're becoming educators, and I can see that. A lot of them are really great at it. As far as I know, all of them are really great at it. And yeah. as far as I know, I would I would suck at it. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it yeah. I mean, the more educators, the better for sure. And yeah. uh, like, would you consider yourself a pressure player in life or music? Do you feel like you do um, better when you have a wall to kick against? I really want to be. I really want to say that. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like uh, I could be an imposter saying that too because I've cracked so many times, right? But it's like, Same. yeah, that's what I'm after. I'm after that feeling of you know having something to prove or having something to deliver. Really, from within, I feel like I have so much to prove every day, and I just don't know how to how to translate it in life yet. But I'll I'll get there, and it's like. 
yeah, I'm not trying to prove anybody to something else. Just, I'm not trying to prove anything to somebody else. Right. I've got so much that I still need to prove to myself and I have no idea how, but yeah, that's the pressure that, that I put on myself and sometimes it's unhealthy, but yeah, so far that's the way it's been. You've done a lot of the heavy lifting in the, <laughs> in the, in the show. Personally, I'm, I'm at this weird point, at a weird point with the podcast where I really don't know what it has. Um, like, I encountered you for the first time like a couple months ago, right? So it's like, right. I, don't, I don't know, it's ancient history to me, right? So it's <laughs> like, for all I know, you could have been running this nonstop since your oldest episodes like 10 years ago, right? So Yeah, and I, oh, I definitely had larger gaps in my, my, yeah. uh, my early 20s being a early 20-something-year-old. Whatever Loud I thought, and proud, doing, doing that right now. Yeah, there you go. Whatever I thought was more important at the time, and I, I've been back at it more hardcore in the last four years. I'm not trying to make a body of work that is impressive. The thing that I'm doing right now is the thing that I care most about. And in that space, I'm at this weird place where when I go through those long, shitty, depressing factory days, I am spending time looking at the sphere that I'm in. I'm not even making sense anymore. Sorry. What do people like me who consume multi-hours every day of podcasts of different genres, what do we not understand about being in your shoes and about going through this reflective part of being the host and being the producer? What do we not understand about being behind the podcast curtain? Because I'm very curious about that as such an avid podcast listener. Even in saying shit, I'm like trying to construct thoughts in a way that the, the hypothetical listener will be intrigued by or something. I don't know. Um, I'm but- very intrigued by it because, you know, at some point in my time in this music game, I want to host a podcast too. I haven't done yeah. it yet because I haven't developed the way that I want to see it yet, you know? Right. But I'm such a... Creative people want to make their version of what they consume all the time. It's like, yeah. I'm a huge podcast guy and I think about it, right? So I'm, I am very curious about what it's like behind your curtain and yeah. how comfortable you feel with it and all that stuff. Like that's that's what would hit me if I tried to go out and do it today. I think it's very much that thing where you create the demands that are on you. Mm-hmm. It's it's entirely up to you, and there's no one else telling you this has to go. This needs to be um, added on. I listen to Conan O'Brien's podcast. He, he goes deep with other talk show hosts about what it's like having all kinds of hands up your ass. Yeah. D- 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 does that metaphor scan across the large audience that I'm trying to get? Because <laughs> <laughs> you have little to no control, but you're, you are forced to worry about how many people like you. Yeah. Be- because, so if I go out there saying, here's my new show, The Coffeehouse Crowd, the first few weeks... If it gets listened to at all, fine. I'm just doing the thing that I love to do. And then time passes, and then through no one else's hand, I look at what's out there to get as a podcaster, and I make the mistake of saying, without any provocation, oh, I want that. And suddenly, there's a demand on my skills as a conversationalist that I didn't have going into it. I'll feel bad if I couldn't be a funny person I, I feel bad if I drone on too much. If I think I'm putting something out there that's really awesome and I don't see anything like hitting. Whereas, again, 
at the end of the day, when I center myself, I'm like, oh, fuck, I don't, I don't care. Always, I'm just making this up right now, but always reaffirm your intention. Yeah. Here's, sure. here's my version of that. People take for granted how ridiculously high level it is for when a creative person shows you their art, their product, for you to proactively react to it in some way. That is so fucking high level. That is reserved for the best of the best of things. It's like when I sit down one of my friends and I show them a track that I've recorded, like of my own music, how many of those friends would on their own dime, on their own time, go out and share this thing? Like because of the the volume of content in the world which I don't blame at all. I love that as a consumer, you know, I want lots of things that I can consume. But the side effect of that is that the most tiny actions that you as a fan can do in response to somebody's creative content, the, the value of you doing them is, is way, way higher than you think it is. It's like how many people would, would go out and share what you push on your Facebook page or what I push on my SoundCloud or the Spotify link that I, I send to my family, friends or whatever. Like right. if they share it, they're instantly above 99.9% of all the people that I could possibly show it to because there's so much content that the idea of proactively picking something to share mm-hmm. is, is a high, high bar. And like people take that for granted. Like, before you, you know, you'd probably even remember this, like, I remember this 10 years ago. Like, if your friends recommended you music 10 years ago in, in 07, 08, 09, you, yeah. were going to, you were going to HMV, man. You were going to go buy that CD. Or you were going to iTunes and you were going to listen, you were going to, listen to the track they told you to listen to and you were going to buy it. And then you might, you're probably going to tell your friends as well. Because you're passing around content in a lower content volume world and you feel like it's part of your duties to go and pass that on to somebody else and keep it going, right? Because you're in this community where you're sharing stuff. But now that so much stuff gets pushed to us directly, it's like if you do something that people share, you got to pat yourself on the back, man, and be like, holy shit, somebody shared what I did. Yeah, You know, these mythical five people who are listening that you keep alluding to here and there. <laughs> it's like, if, if those guys are sharing what you're doing and talking about what you're doing, it's like, those guys are superstars yeah, because sure. of the volume of stuff that's out there. So it's like, every time I find one person who will share something I did once, I'm like, yes, that's like <laughs> mission accomplished, right? Like, well, that's what I, it's all about. Speaking to what you're saying... I think that this conversation right now is between two people that in a world full of a million things and a a million people sought out to soak in each other's work. I totally fuck with what you're doing right away. Like as soon as I, as soon as I don't even remember, like Anna's asked me like, how exactly did you and Todd connect online? It's like, I don't remember. (laughs) It was like, there's there's like hundred DMs a day. It's like, I don't remember each one of them, but it's like out of those hundred DMs a day, it's like right away when I saw what you're doing, I totally fuck with it because I'm like, yeah, that's like this is an independent creator of something that is true to them, you know. And it's like, right when you find those people, you remember them if you're doing it because it's like, hey, kindred spirit. There it happened. We we connected on Instagram, and you liked my podcast genuinely, and I genuinely liked your music. I I, I didn't feel like I was doing a good deed. Like I I genuinely I'm rambling at this point. The point is that that can happen. The person I'm chatting with, again, is name is William Chernoff. Well, you're here. You can say that for yourself. Sorry. 
Can you I'm tell enjoying p- this, Todd. Don't 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 kill your vibe. I'm not worried about sounding hip. Can you tell people where they can computer find you? I'm at William Chernoff on most of the socials, and I've got the William Chernoff Facebook page as well. And my website is uh, chernoff.band, not chernoff.com or .ca or anything. Chernoff.band. That's my one homepage that I'm using for everything I'm putting together personally. And then as of the recording time, I'm in a band called Early Spirit, and that's at earlyspirit.ca. As we all know, podcasts live forever, so uh, I'll yeah. see you wherever I'm at in the future. <laughs> <laughs> That's See true. you in the future. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Thanks oh, for ch- very welcome. Thank you, sir. Yeah, no, the, we call each other sir, too. Fun fact. Yeah. That's a pretty good time, yeah. But no, and, it's, been, it's been a pleasure uh, to meet you face-to-face on, on Skype here. And yeah, so thankful. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Todd Donald Show. Starring, produced, and edited by Todd Donald. The piano music in the rap is by J.P. Sunga who you can find at jpsunga.com. The theme music is Mackie Alkino by William Chernoff. Find him at chernoff.band. And I'm Milo Axelrod, Todd's favorite bar none human voice. And I'm not bragging, he wrote this. If you'd like to hear more of my voice, check out my podcast, Describing a Rock, in which I describe some rocks. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Please support The Todd Donald Show by sharing it with anyone who might enjoy it. Follow and interact with at Todd Donald Show on Twitter and Instagram. And if you feel like going the extra mile on iTunes, please subscribe, rate, and review, preferably in its favor. Have a great day, friends. Thank you.